Welcome to episode three of the Emotion Track podcast. This week, we're talking to Shelly Garson. She's a focus group industry veteran, and she's been directing our efforts to extract the insights that come from the emotional intelligence that we gather. If you have any interest at all in the evolution of focus group science, you're really going to enjoy this episode. She's a lot of fun to talk to, and we'll probably have to edit this for time. But stick around. I think you're going to enjoy it. Let's jump right in. Shelly, thanks for being here. We appreciate you taking the time to join us. Looking forward to chatting with you. Thanks, yeah. Why don't we start off? I know I, I mentioned who you are in uh, our intro, but why don't we start off by you just telling our audience a little bit about your background, what you you know, what you do now, and how you got to where you are. Okay. Um, I'm very much um, well. I'm a New Yorker, born and raised New Yorker in Queens, as you probably can tell from both my hand gesturing, my posturing, my accent, the rate of. <laughs> Um, but, you know, you can get used to that. It's something that we pride ourselves on. Um, but as a New Yorker, I was always able to be exposed to different cultures and people. And that was something that was very important in my growing up and certainly affected and directed the ultimate path that I took. I felt a connection to them. And then my parents, of course, always liked to take a walk afterwards. And I was fascinated. We went into the supermarkets. You know, they're big on herbology and herb, you know, herbologists. And I was always trying to think of what concoction I could make to do X, Y, and Z to classmates I didn't like. <laughs> you know, uh, kind of, you know, a little bit adventurous in that sense and mischievous, but always, you know, for a good cause. Um, and then <laughs> yours, really, my own purpose, <laughs> right. exactly, for my own humor, because I definitely can crack myself up, especially being in market research. How can you not? Exactly. Well, you know, you, you're doing a survey on um, on a turkey study post Thanksgiving and people are writing complaints in that their turkey came out bad because no one told them to remove the plastic. <laughs> exactly. you, you, know, you, can't, you can't get better than that. You know, you better you better have a sense of humor to be in marketing. You better have sure. it, exactly. <laughs> um, and I guess that was followed up by um, I was fascinated when my father brought home a world book encyclopedia and I literally read it, you know, letter by letter, was very excited to find out that Joan of Arc, who was a feminist women, womanist, you know, um, as I was growing up in the 70s, had my birthday. We shared a birthday. Oh, wow. Okay, my role model and a mentor, and I thought it was meant to be kind of thing, you know, and a few school trips to the United Nations and culture started to fascinate me and ended up going to um, NYU and studying marketing, which I figured out was actually the capitalist way to approach studying people. You know, it's studying them, but then make some money off of it. And, <laughs> exactly. You know, yeah. There's a little bit of a capitalist direction. Um, the cross-section of sociology and enterprise, essentially. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, they, they cover it up. Um, you know, my master's degree is in applied social research, which was basically out of the sociology department because they wouldn't market it out of the business department for a variety of reasons, politics. But it's the studying of people. Um, I was partnered with a market research company, um, and then it took off. Um, I had an opportunity to study day-to-day -day what people think of things and product taste tests and interviewing people. And a few years into it, I became a focus group moderator in which I conduct these round table panel discussions. Um, I worked for ad agencies for 15 years. Um, and again, I got to understand the, you know, not only the demographics of how people live, but the socio part. Like I liked a lot of social history. I like to know what people were up to during the time. So fascinated on like, how did people, you know, cook food, what kind of recipes, you know, what was popular, why people had to dress a certain way. Um, 
Plus, add to the layer that I'm fascinated by sci-fi. So I like to take all of this and make a future out of it. Like, what have we learned so far amassed in history? Because history does repeat itself. Yeah. People are people, you know, um, and they're going to be the same no matter what. Um, and that's basically what I do. That's why I'm fascinated by market research, because I get to study people, you know, either remotely or, you know, one to one and find out, you know, what motivates them, what compels them. But basically, like what 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 drives us, where has it driven us and where will it drive us? I mean, that's kind of what it comes down to. Right. It's it's the truth. And it's universal this year, you know, where. You know, maybe we, America got, you know, somehow messed up because of our elections and we had a bad year. So everyone, we all felt sorry for ourselves, but the rest of the world, they continued with their business. No, they haven't, you know, and, uh, you know, everyone wants to get back to life now. And I think that is going to bring a general refreshment to everything across the board. You know, once the spring does roll in and, you know, the vac vac vaccinations are out, people get vaccinated and protected. Um, I think business is about to come back. I mean, I feel that. I feel that on the nature of the requests that we're getting. Um, people want to start doing market research now, actually, at this juncture, because there's been such a long period of quiet. Yeah. Where, you know, I wasn't going to spend money testing a commercial that starts with, um, you know, in light of current events, you know. <laughs> Sorry that 18 of your neighbors died, but I want to sell you toilet paper. <laughs> right. You know, so, um, but I think we're done with that. You know, I mean, we've certainly made a lot, we've achieved a lot as a world population, a recognition that we are all human. However, they want to take that, that's fine. I hear they're resuming bombing in the Middle East. So, hey, things yeah. are to normal, you know, but I think brands now need to have understand a lot more sensitivity and emotion, the emotion, emotionality that people attach to brands, because that's going to matter now. There was so much branching and brand changing, whether you literally couldn't go out to get your brand or your brand was unavailable or we weren't shopping or going out. So what I find interesting and when I talk to some of my branding clients is that we know that 85% or 95% of our decisions are made at the shelf, right? Yeah. So your first brand, the one you like the most, is the one you buy. The second one you buy is the one that you is your, your alternative, right? When number one's out, you buy number two. But, oh, oh, no, number two's out, too. So what do you choose for three? And the likelihood is three created some that brand connected to you at some point, somehow, but you decided it wasn't your favorite. So the whole decision-making process is just, you know, screwed. Um, and then comes DTC brands, direct to consumer brands who say, this is the time, you know, we don't need bricks and mortar. People are at home behind closed doors. So let's go direct to consumer. So now I can get sacks and underwear brands, you know, I mean, everything under the sun can be direct to consumer. And so specific, you know, like if you're balding on the left hand part of your <laughs> right. or if you have a ward here next to your watch, I mean, yeah. If you like underpants with turtles on them, we've got you covered. Exactly. We are <laughs> yeah. the men's box. You know? Right. Um, subscription boxes and subscription packages have gone up enormously um, because the idea of getting a freebie every single month, you know, really enhanced the idea of having to be inside. I think you know, I, I don't want to cut you off there, but I, that, sure. that's a that's a, uh, a a good one you mentioned there because I think 
one of the things too that happened with people uh, during COVID because they couldn't go out because they couldn't go to the shelf is that they were unwilling to you know to consider changing their brand. They didn't have the opportunity to do to have that experience they normally would for right. considering something else. And, you know, that opened up an opportunity for those, you know, box a month, you know, services uh, because it gave people a way to try something out, you know, when they didn't have their normal, you know, way to interact with trying out new products or brands and things like that. Exactly. But, you know, um, brands have to find different ways to grow. Um, I think the other interesting aspect, I don't know if you heard about this, this does not related to our topic, um, emotion, (laughs) we will get to that, um, is the popular... I also have a a, um, a news feed through my LinkedIn. I call it Brand Buzz News, um, and I love news of the business, you know, of business and branding and concept and design, especially. So, you know, I'm up on this. But um, so, one of the newest things now are some of the fast food brands that continue to <clears throat> service customers who love the drive-through and the no contact. Well, one, they're putting together better, healthier options since they are becoming a destination and not just they're becoming the destination and not a destination. Yeah. Kitchens. Have you heard about ghost kitchens? Ghost kitchens. Yeah. So this is a topic I've been writing a lot about. Um, It's basically they've converted their space. It could be either a brand new space or it's a space, a big box where they just prepare for takeout they prepare oh yeah yeah i had was not familiar with the term uh kansas city where where i'm where i'm uh, broadcasting from uh is uh become over the past 10 years quite a food town uh and and they've been seeing a lot of that over the past three years these uh, commercial kitchens that do nothing but just offer you know different food options for takeout and delivery and you can't go down there you can't go there and sit down and eat that's you know it's not even an option so so exactly. we call that ghost kitchens. I like it. Yeah. So because they're operating in a lot of formats, like some Walmarts or some failing, you know, Kroger's across the country, um, especially when we were in lockdown, converted their entire, you know, took out, you know, as much as they could from the inside of, you know, their their, their uh, fixtures and they converted it into a ghost kitchen of, you know, supplying other Kroger's with pre-made meals, which, you know, pre-made meals also hit, you know, a big high, big spike. Yeah. 20 um, pounds for me yeah that's about it <laughs> oh, this has been i know i know you know what it, it's it's been very tough it's been very tough it's you have to get out and walk a little bit you know and we had a brutal winter here in new york so <laughs> yeah same here yeah i'm looking forward to spring <laughs> you mentioned a little bit about having worked with the uh, you know with the uh, panel groups and, and conducting focus mm-hmm. groups and that being a big part of your career um and as i said in our intro of course you uh uh, you know, are, are contributing to the insight development from the intelligence that our platform creates. Um, but can you, you know, can you tell me, did, how did you first, how did you first, for example, to start off with, how did you first meet our CEO, Aaron? Was it uh, because of your background in focus groups with traditional focus groups or did you, did you, had you had a relationship with him previously? Right. Uh, so for a hundred years, since I know him for over 30 five years. Um, he knows that I've worked in marketing research his whole life. I've worked in marketing re- you know, for his whole time. I've known him. I've always worked in marketing research um, and we've always talked about it. Um, and then um, I guess uh, about five years ago, Aaron came to me and mentioned he was working on a product called Jingles. 
um, and it was a gamification kind of platform. And we started talking about apps and testing apps. Um, everything was brand new about how to say app about <laughs> app testing. Mm -hmm. um, of the apps and where it goes and who creates it. And everybody suddenly was an app manufacturer. Everybody, you know, like my friends would make fun of me. I go, oh, there's an app for that. Remember Apple had that as their, there's an app for that. There's an yeah. app. Well, there was, and now it's <laughs> and beyond and more. And now it's all about monetizing, you know, all of those. So strangely enough, I showed up to moderate a focus group and literally uh, Ron Teblum says to me, did you know that Aaron was here recently? <laughs> oh, no, you know, I know him. I know that we've talked about, you know, usability and, uh, you know, app testing. And he told me about the product. And I said, well, it's not going to work because of X, Y, and Z. And sure enough, they had those pain points and those problems. But um, that's kind of how we all came around together, like the three of us met. And then Aaron and I started chatting, you know, along the years on how to improve it, improve it. And then two years ago, they created Campaign Tester which was specifically the reading of the microfacial expressions. Um, and, and, and for anyone in our audience that isn't familiar with Campaign Tester, that is, uh, you know, uses our emotion track technology, really, uh, you know, developing, you know, recognizing those uh, uh, emotions while watching, you know, short videos that could be ad campaigns and things like that. So that was a unique platform. It wasn't unheard of because in the 80s, we had done um, you know, eye perception, eye tracking. We had done galvanic skin response, which, which was measuring how much you sweat um, based on what you have. Um, you know, Lots of companies were interested in a very clean measure and a clean tool to evaluate, let's say, let's talk about creative, um, to evaluate creative you know, and advertising and messaging and things like that. Um, and certainly my work at the ad agencies, that was the most important. So everybody wanted to know numbers and scores. And then when people couldn't figure out what was going on, we'd have a focus group where we'd ask people to come together and answer some of our questions and then how to optimize and improve. And that had been basically the setup of market research all of those years. So there was kind of focus groups maybe to create the issues, then test them quantitatively, then focus groups again. Um, different kinds of tools. Ad agencies were very much about getting, <clears throat> excuse me, to the emotional um, perspective of the consumer. <clears throat> they understood that people don't buy products, that they buy brands. Um, you know, I worked at Ted Bates um, and they were big on branding. They actually created the USP, which is the unique selling proposition. You know, M&M, you know, M&M candies built in your mouth, not in your hands. Yeah. Um, and that always, you know, that always fascinated me and helped me understand what brands try to accomplish. You know, that tagline really tells them, you know, what it's all about. Now cut to like the last two years or so, even before COVID, people were not as traveling as much. Um, people were taking fewer family vacations. Um, you know, things were happening less in person and people kind of doing their own thing. Um, and then here and there, Zoom meetings, you know, teams started to get together, you know, and whatever. And then um, we said, wow, maybe we can do focus groups online and, you know, that can work. So the, a, a bunch of scientists developed a technology, much like we're talking now, um, but it has a video from the top and it records. And mostly I was using it for usability, testing, website, navigation. Sure, yeah. 
like that. So that was the first introduction of kind of a big technology into the world of qualitative, which was UX and experience. But then we went totally cold. We were like, okay, we can't even bring people now in to play with the computer. Um, and we started doing things remotely. And in the beginning, I could not get anybody. Um, so we, you know, we worked out the kinks. And then when I got on board with them when, with the software, I made it seem like it was such a big deal that we love being remote because now we can get people from not just, you know, Silver Spring, Maryland, but all of the state of Maryland. Um, and I was doing a lot of research for the visitation center down in Broward County, and they had identified a number of states that really bring people down to South Florida for vacation. So this way remotely suddenly started to benefit me and the client liked it remotely so much. And, you know, so they said, let's run this in, you know, let's run this abroad as well. Um, and the fact that people were home, even in Norway, and, you know, just because they were locked down. So everybody wanted to participate. We blew the study up because we realized that people enjoyed the remote. Nobody was, you know, the Europeans really didn't care at all. It was the Americans. So the remote component um, has helped us a lot and um, that's changed everything. And everyone is okay with that now, um, doing some sort of remote participation. So now we do remote focus groups. Um, I'm going to say that, you know, they're going on as, you know, as we speak and business as normal. The problem still with focus groups and tie that back to Malcolm Gladwell's blink is that all of this kind of talking research doesn't really give you the person's real, real unique, authentic response. Um, first of all, we've been socialized not to do that. You know, when your wife comes in front of you, do you, don't you love my dress? Of course you do. I just, love it. <laughs> exactly. You look good. Buy five more. <laughs> so, exactly. So we've been conditioned to respond in a certain way, and that's not authentic or genuine. Um, go to another culture and something you'd ask them. And if she looked crappy, they'd say, Ooh, you look crappy, you know, <laughs> or you go to an Asian community where no one really ever says no. And everyone always says yes. So cross-culturally, this idea of, um, and in universally and internationally, right. Same thing, um, is that people have, you know, Malcolm Gladwell posits as well as many psychologists that you at mo one moment you have the answer to the question and it could change based on your experience and all that baggage you bring with you by the time it comes out of your mouth. So certainly if you're sitting at a focus group, there's gonna be a group bias, okay? Because if three people in front of you said, I hate it, you're not gonna say you love it. So- you, that, you, that kind of reminds me, I'm sorry to interrupt, but that kind of reminds me, we, we were talking about your sociology background uh, before we started, uh, the interview, um, that kind of reminds me of a, of a sort of, uh, seminal book in sociology by Peter Berger called the social construction of reality. How yes. there's, there's what, you, you know, what you think people think about you, there's what you think about them. And then there's the, the you that you present to each other. That's neither one of those things or the truth, you know, and then. Exactly. Exactly. Um, as a matter of fact, we use that sometimes as a tool. When someone watches a commercial, we have thought bubbles. One is what you would say actually to the interviewer, and the other one is what you're actually thinking. <laughs> <laughs> Just to get that down on paper, you know. What happened with focus groups is that focus groups don't allow us to capture the real live moment-by-moment -moment articulation on how someone responds to what they're presenting. 
So it could be a compilation reel of a variety of assets you want to evaluate, or it could be, you know, a creative testing a commercial that we're testing, let's say for BET for 30 seconds. They're testing two versions of them. Um, so what's happening is that um, the respondents, the panel, is not aware that they're getting, you know, if we ask them when they sign up, we mention micro expressions, but that's not the point and they don't need to worry about that. We want them just to watch the content and we record their micro expressions. And essentially, unless you, you know, play a hard, you know, con game, there's no way that you could hide any of your expressions. Right, right. And and you, you do a you do a large volume of participants, so that kind of filters those those exactly. possibilities out anyway. And to Malcolm Gladwell's point, what we're capturing is that blink moment, is the moment before the words come out of your mouth. So so psychologically, we're really getting the essence and what drives what they think of that moment is some type we've you know correlated to some affinity with either the brand or the subject matter or something. And there's a lot going into that decision making that's you know giving them that expression. But regardless, um, it's a universal. Um, Dr. Paul Aikman has seven universal sentiments. Um, he's tested them on you know native tribes far away. You know somebody gave a joke, you know uh, stage a joke, and they laughed and you know had all the right micro expressions as if I heard it. Even with blind people, they told a joke, and even someone blind who's never seen had the same facial expression. So we know that. Um, and then there was a man named Plutchnik. He came around in the 70s and he took Aikman's basic sentiments and he built a second layer on top of them, which says you can combine some emotions together like joy and anger is victory. Hmm. Interesting. Victory never really mm, victory. Well, someone died or someone <laughs> right. died at the end. Um, and that's how we would get to it would be, you know, some of that angst and some of that, you know, joy. So um, what we have today is a fabulous tool, which takes literally, you know, three minutes, you know, for you to put together on board. Um, we field it in one day. We get back all these real authentic responses, all statistically validated and all these incredible measurements. Um, so we get these scores on how people are feeling regarding the sentiment. So how happy were they? How fearful were they? Were they angry? Um, but beyond just getting a certain score, we get a trajectory of how that sentiment was played. So we look at, let's say, happy, and we can see happy flat lines since, so you imagine a 30-second commercial, okay? Yeah. It's going through the whole time. So, you know, it's a little flat in the beginning till people gave you get the idea, oh, suddenly it spikes, then it flat lines, and it dip dips up, but at the end it goes spiked. So... We like that. That's one of the things we like to see a spike at the end of happiness. Probably a good thing unless it was, you know, uh, creative about murder. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Which, you know, for our legal clients, we don't always see a spike in happiness at the end. So there, there's a context that relates to whatever the content of the video is. Exactly. So, you know, at sometimes you want to create angst. Other times you want to create humor. So you focus on that. But what we have and what creatively people love is that frame by frame, we get the sentiment and we can break it down by demographic. We can break it down by race, by age, by income, by gender. I say all of them. Um, and so slicing and dicing, especially men versus women. I mean, and then what we do with that is we kind of give them a sense of top line of 
what is their, you know, what is the real and, you know, a sentimental expression coming out of the commercial? Um, does it end at the point you want them to be? Do you want them to end up being, you know, angry or happy or sad? Um, what were the spikes? So pay attention to that because the content that happened at that moment is obviously resonating with respondents. Pay attention to that as well as pay attention to the ones that fall down. Um, give you a quick example. Um, we're always looking at the spikes and the dips against the trajectory. So recently we did um, a test commercial for BET and um, we had two versions and they were different, um, but they had, they shared one frame, which was the same. It was before the vote. Um, they had a mask, someone was wearing a mask as expected and it said vote on it. And I test, we tested both commercials side by side and, you know, not real crazy emotional reactions out of, you know, out of index or anything, except for that frame on both commercials. Really? You could just see clearly that that was a pain point, a major red flag, just take that out. And that whole experience, you know, we could <clears throat> put it in the market and create results within two days, three days. Um, and that emotional sentiment today has been proven to be the foundation for branding and brand loyalty. So, you know, I recommend that everybody find out how people emotionally feel about their brands and it works as a creative platform and, you know, as a springboard for lots of other decisions with the brand moving forward. And it sounds like it really, I mean, the, <clears throat> the value that you're bringing is, you know, the, the expertise that you have in uh, analyzing the qualitative aspects uh, of what you really should be looking for, the conclusions and insights that we should be drawing and then um, the emotion track technology that gives you that hard data, you know, uh, emotion detection that you can draw those insights from that don't rely on maybe necessarily just what someone says their emotions were. Right, exactly. And that they may not even know their emotions were like, you know, as you mentioned, there's what we think we, you know, we feel when we answer a question versus what, how we actually right. react when, we, when we're in the moment. Right, exactly. You don't get a second, you know. Like yeah. You don't, you don't have that. It's just, it's natural and it's authentic <clears throat> and it's timed, you know, so it's almost like the perfect environment, especially if they're testing creative, because most of our commercials are, we're watching on our mobile device anyway. So what better place to evaluate the creative itself than on a mobile device? That's why we really haven't gone to desktop. Um, and also people don't want to do that at work or get up on their desktop. It's just, it's not really the same thing. We always the average consumer is spending 90% of their internet time on a mobile device now anyway. Absolutely. So it's when they're most comfortable with everything else they're doing. So absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, so you're, you know, you're obviously as, you know, as we've been talking about has spearheaded the whole development of the insight report that is basically the deliverable when somebody uses uh, the emotion track platform. You know, do you have any thoughts about, you know, where you see, you know, uh, your contributions going in the future to the development of this product or, you know, or just, you know, to anything else related to this kind of work? Um, we've we've been around enough, but not long enough to have developed um, what I'd like to author as best practices, um, you know, tips and hacks, um, both not in, excuse me, not at all for the panel. They're all set. The there's a lot nice, a little nice activity going on on that, but for the clients, um, especially if we're going to hone in on any specific vertical, um, they need a little bit more handholding. They definitely need to have the, you know, the uh, 
the, the, ev the evidence and the documentation that this tool is valid and it works and it can replace your mock jury and it can replace your focus groups because who's doing that anymore anyway? And we're talking about those things are like a 30 to 40 to $50,000 investment. Um, why and they take so much time and, and no one has time prepped. at all now. <laughs> no one has prepped and that's in-person prep time also. And, you know, I saw somebody trying to assemble a from Zoom clips, a remote session and, you know, the whole thing fell off. It just doesn't work. So um, again, now the fact that people are also comfortably getting remote data, um, the clients aren't as, you know, aren't asking like sketchy questions like how or who's responding or why are people responding? Everyone understands the context of mobile and game. If we try to make it a game, you know, it's gamification and earning. There's reward. a reward. Yeah. yeah. Thank God we don't longer have to explain that. When we had jingles, we had to explain every single detail. So respondents, you know, respondents already know their job. We have to continue to inform clients um, and work on our scoring and our indices. Um, we're really honing in on a lot of the, the data metrics as we're able to build a database. So now I've been able to build a database. We've done enough studies, you know, that I think 127 studies that I'm now able to start going back and trying to find norms and benchmarks, um, a lot leading to the greater data science um, so that we understand that. And then that in turn will help us make improvements on the system. You know, that's the exciting next step. I agree. Yeah. It's, you, you yeah. know, may taking and it takes someone who know you know who who understands uh the qualitative science behind all of this to you can't you can't just tell a developer to come up with a scoring system oh, you know yeah. they don't have, they have oh, no idea what that yeah. <laughs> oh, heck, yeah uh you know it takes it takes someone with your kind of expertise to do that and 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 uh be able to produce a you know a scoring system that could actually give uh beyond the insight report uh some automated guidance for how to make improvements depending on whatever your you know the uh, goal exactly. of the uh, sentiment was for that video content so absolutely absolutely i mean the minimum our clients would learn is does it pass does it fail i mean at minimum we're we're running a little bit you know short of time now and the last yeah. thing is you know that i just wanted to ask because mm -hmm. one of the things that emotion track has really been finding a lot of traction with is with attorneys and we've kind of been touching on them a little bit during this conversation but um you know what what's the process been like uh, from your perspective for developing the kinds of uh, insights that attorneys have needed uh mm -hmm. with the focus groups that they've been running on our platform um that's actually moving on moving into the uh legal vertical has just been so very exciting um because what is a lawyer's case just things people say <laughs> Wait, <laughs> to stuff evidence do i believe you do i like you are you credible do you make me angry right so what are you going to do you're going to set up a focus group and you're going to go around the room and go does this piece of evidence make you believe that the plaintiff is wrong or um even staging a mock jury it's staged they're going to talk amongst each other they're going to be malfunctions the stuff isn't going to and it's thousands as we mentioned thousands of dollars and takes an enormous amount of time now we have really been able to turn the legal market by showing them how valuable the tool is in their work to skip the mock juries and skip the focus groups. Um, however, you do have to prepare a compilation reel of all the assets that you would use. We don't need you to actually go to the courtroom for your opening remarks, 
but this is how we stage them. And we find that my favorite slogan, visuals are visceral. So we recommend if you especially personally know injury, get a lot of shots of the stitches and the blood and the whatever and the situation. And you can get opening remarks, closing remarks, you get testimonials, you get visuals of the accident, um, a fabulous voiceover. You know, we introduce them to certain slides for transition, setting up the panel audience so they know what we're reading. And we have gotten fabulous. I mean, the lawyers are going, and I'm not even trying to be a commercial. They're going, because <laughs> they cannot believe, you know, they sound like, oh, I have to put this and this and this together. Well, we do the compilation reel for you. So that's not a problem. And we'll advise you the direction since we have become the experts. But you need to do that anyway. You're going to yeah. have testimony. You're going to have that. And, you know, we have a couple of lawyers who wanted to test, you know, their presentation to the jury. You know, a tie was definitely seen made people a little bit more uptight to his, you know, his commentary than when he wore something light. Um, we learned, for example, if you make a noise, a smack or hit the table or turn your body, capture someone's attention. So if we see that engagement is not moving along, we want to get a spike. You slap that table. You make <laughs> Okay. You get them back on track. So that's the kind of best practice. Those are the kinds of best practice things, you know, that we want to start getting out to our clients because the better compilation reel, the better their results. So basically comes back from um, any of our panel audience watching that compilation reel is the setup is malpractice. There's an injury occurring. Okay. Or it's, you know, a slip and fall kind of case or a car accident. What more do you want than emotion? coming out of that. That is what people will decide on. How emotionally they are affected by the testimony, by the lawyers, by the other jurors, for God's sake. Yep. So here you or the judge. Zero. Yeah, exactly. The fact you didn't have breakfast before you showed up in the courtroom, you know, this yeah. absolutely eliminates any bias. There is zero bias, you know, to, um, you know, to what's going on. The, the thing is being tested remotely and it comes back exactly as it, you know, as the trajectory. And then we see, um, especially with the lawyers, we love to see the spikes, you know, where the audience is getting, are we raising angst? Are we raising anger? Are we making people sad? You know, what's the purpose of the, you know, the compilation reel? Um, and then what we've introduced, which has been hugely popular now as well, is the addition of having a free form style question that gives us some more diagnostic, some more narrative perhaps around the story. So let's say that there are three alternative awards that are potentially can be awarded to the plaintiff. Um, at the For end. the case that might be the subject of that video content. Yes, exactly. Let's say three different price amounts and no, we should go to settlement or no, he should go to jail. Basically, short form survey kind of thing. Short form survey. We're basically having them, or the lawyers are mostly interested to see what their vote is on the payout payout of the award. Um, you know, where do they go? And they set up the story. They they might set up and they say, you know, Mr. Guarez already had a half a million dollars in surgery. He needs a half a million more. Would you grant that to him? Would you grant him half of that? And then you get to see men don't want to give away anything ever. <laughs> Women are like two million. That's it. Two million. No matter how many of this sense you know <laughs> for any for anyone who has tuned into this podcast for the first time with this episode i would encourage you all to go back <laughs> and watch our first two episodes because everything shelly has just said uh can be validated by the attorneys who have used the platform and have 
echoed all of those same uh, sentiments about their experience with using it and the kind of insights that they're getting back and how it's guiding them to drive better success for their clients. Absolutely. Well, Shelly, we are running out of time. Uh, I would love, though, if you could promise me that maybe some, uh, you know, sometime a couple of episodes from now, we could do this again, uh, because you've been a lot of fun to talk to. And I feel like we've got, you know, for every one thing we we touched on and elaborated on, if I watched five things go by that I would have loved to just dive down a rabbit hole with you. My pleasure. My pleasure. Anytime. You know, but in the meantime, we'll wrap this one up. And I just want to thank you for joining us and uh, appreciate your thoughts. Yep. Have a good night.